Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Low Blow Booking Podcast. My name is Derek Cornett, and I am so excited to be uh, in your ear again here on another great edition of the Low Blow Booking Podcast. Uh, Tonight is a very special night for me as I bring in a a very close personal friend of mine. Uh, We are going to start a journey. We are going to to make a trifecta, if you will. Um, we're, we're putting together this three-part series of the 1988 WWF, and we're going to kick it off tonight by talking about the 1988 Royal Rumble. So let me welcome in my guest, Dave Hall. How is it going once again? And the other it's, side of the world. It's doing really good. It's doing really good. It's a, it's a pleasure to be back with you, mate. It's, I always enjoy these opportunities to, to chat with you and... Uh, and to and to do some have some fun with all this and it's it's not a bad day down here in Australia it's uh it's it's approaching thirty degrees Celsius and uh, yeah we're we're starting to move into summer where I guess I guess you guys are starting to feel it cool down a little bit more absolutely and you know to let everybody know it's nine o'clock here in the middle of uh in the middle of Iowa on a cold cold snowy November night and it sounds like things are a little bit nicer there where you're at. Absolutely, we're approaching two o'clock in the afternoon. I've um, I, I've I've had it lovely today. Oh, it's it's something to be a little bit jealous about. You know, that was the the fun thing when I got to travel the world a little bit. Um, I went down to Panama and uh, to see what their winter was compared to ours, and you know the snow and, and things like that, and just how how different things can be. And um, you know, it's something I'm grateful for with the relationship that you and I have is that I get to talk to somebody that has that uh, going on on the other side of the world, and it's interesting to have that connection. And uh, you know, we get to bring that stuff that we like and we get to we get to put it here on the low blow booking podcast but um you and i do a a lot more um we're both members of the territory wars at the bigelow34.proboards.com um website uh you run the ecw there i run the wwf some great stuff and i'm just really looking forward to what we have going here tonight it's going to be a three-part series um i approached you and i actually just approached the the 1988 Royal Rumble, and we said that we wanted to do it. And then um, we got Jeffrey Jelka in, involved, and then, uh, you know, kind of just pulled out the bullpen, and, and Scott Criscola is actually going to be joining us. And it's going to be me and you for Royal Rumble, me and Jeff for WrestleMania four, and then me and Scott finishing it off with SummerSlam 1988. So what is what has been your thoughts on this whole process of what we've gone through here over the past month putting this together? Um, I've really, I've really enjoyed it. It's, 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 it's really good to look at. You're looking at a time when that they booked the the events so differently, and I mean the Rumble wasn't even pay per view. So, taking the opportunity to see what if it was booked in, in in a slightly different way with with the with the premises being on putting big matches on the pay per view events and and having the feuds featured prominently rather than just trying to use these events to to promote the house show circuit. I think it's been really interesting to to create those changes and, and some of the stuff we've done for this rumble has been really sort of thought provoking when we've tried to look at what would the rumble have been like if it was booked on pay-per-view in 88 and if it had 30 men rather than 20. Yeah. And, and that's what we're going to be doing is, uh, you know, looking at all three of these shows, uh, putting them together in a little bit different ways, um, talking about how one show will lead to the next show, um, what are the arches in between some of the television between, um, and you know, really taking it from there. 
Um, I, I know that I've had a lot of a lot of fun talking to you guys, and we're in that process now where we're, we put most of it together, uh, and we want to see what you guys out there in the world uh, think about. You know, the Lobo Booking Podcast continues to grow. I'm so excited because each of our shows is now in the triple digits in terms of listens. Um, continue to let people know about it. Push it out there on Facebook and Twitter. Um, we also are on iTunes and, of course, on Podbean. So uh, let people know about what we're doing and, and, and look forward to some of the ideas and things that we have coming up. And, uh, you know, Dave, I think without further ado, it is time to head to the Cobbs Coliseum in Hamilton, Ontario. The night is January 24th, 1988. There's around uh, eighteen to 20,000 people at this show. Um, it was held on the USA Network, but you and I are going to be changing things up. We're going to be doing a three-hour pay-per-view because also on that night, they had a house show. And that house show actually took some of the major talent and, and took them to another arena doing a show. And we're going to do away with that house show. We're going to bring everybody together live on this night. And uh, I think I think that you guys are really going to like what we put together. Welcome, everyone, to the World Wrestling Federation. Welcome to the Cup Coliseum in Hamilton, Ontario. Yes, this is the Royal Rumble. All right, so Dave, there it is uh, at our broadcast booth. Jesse Ventura and Vince McMahon calling the action. Um, I guess my first question for you is something that we really kind of didn't touch on too much. Do we still keep Vince and Jesse here, or do we bring in Gorilla? Um, I, I'd keep Vince and Jesse together. I think what, we, what we've what we got together on the card, I think you know, t- keeping a couple of those elements that were on the original card, and we'll obviously talk about that shortly, I think the Vince McMahon, Jesse Ventura bickering factor really worked well, especially the way Jesse sort of talks about what McMahon does during the during the event and the broadcast. I think that that works a lot better, and I think with that, you know, this being the first Rumble, I think it's a good chance to to allow Vince to do something like this. Uh, he was always he always knew how to sell new concepts and 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 the storylines because it was it was all his baby and his brainchild so i think i think it would have really helped having vince on this broadcast i i like it too because of the energy that that he brought um and you look at what your shows were um at this point you know in in 87 you had two pay-per-views with wrestlemania 3 the biggest event of all time at that point and then you had the survivor series and now we're bringing in 1988 we're going to do three events um and then, I mean, or no, four events actually now with the, the Royal Rumble. Um, I, I don't mind the change in, in vocal cords here. I like Vince McMahon coming in, giving it a little bit of extra stuff. Um, and, you know, let's let's break it down into the show. I know that when we originally looked at the show, um, what were some of the things that kind of put you off on what they originally did? Well, I, um, I, I just felt that the Rumble itself, like I... I didn't see the 88 Rumble until years after. Down here in Australia, we didn't get the 88 Rumble on TV. Um, I didn't see it until the advent of, of sort of the DVD era and, and being able to, to, to get it on the um, on the anthology collection was the first time I ever saw it. And I must admit, I was a bit disappointed having seen 89, 90, 91 and all the 
the name power that's in them that there was just so few big names in the original 88 Rumble. There's a bunch of tag teams. There's a couple of mid-card, upper-mid-card players, but really all the top names are not in that Rumble. And I, I found that um, difficult. It, made, it sort of made the Rumble a little bit sort of a little bit blah, a little bit just sort of average. It doesn't have that impact that it had in later years. Absolutely. I remember watching this. Oh, it was probably around 98, 99 is the first time that I saw it. Um, I saw a, a video of it. I think it was probably from Napster or something like that, you know, uh, back when that stuff was big. But um, even, even seeing it for the first time again and watching the whole event, um, I got I, I got that a couple years ago um, as I put my collection together. Um, just kind of a letdown. I, I mean, and I look at some of the matches that they had. Obviously, you know, four matches on the card um, on pay or on paid television. Um, you're looking at uh, you know the big angles with Dino and with Hogan and Andre. And I just walk away from it thinking, is this really how you set up your biggest event? Um, I think that the Royal Rumble is probably my favorite event of the year. I've always enjoyed it. I always look forward to it. It was Survivor Series for the longest time, but since the WWF is really kind of, or WWE is kind of really shat on the uh, Survivor Series in recent memory, um, the Royal Rumble still holds a special spot in my heart. And um, I think that they could have kicked it off a little bit better uh, than what they did. So, um, Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I mean, I'm... The, the Rumble is, it, that's the event for me. I mean, I, I've always had, from the moment I first saw it, it it's, it's been my favourite event. I mean, Mania is, is Mania, and that's, that's something different. But the Rumble has always been, it doesn't matter what's happening in the industry, the Rumble for me is always a reboot and a build to Mania. And I mean, I, I've had years where we get to the, the tail end of the year, you know, and you, you're sitting there going, man, I can't watch Raw anymore, I can't. I can't. It's this. I'm not even going to bother watching these events. I, you know, and then the rumble comes, and I mean, I'll watch the rumble. I could, I could have not watched anything for six months. I'll watch the rumble, mm-hmm. and 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 rebuild it, and always gives that new opportunities, that 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 fresh feel, and so I've always loved the rumble. It's been a great event, and I love. I love gimmicks. I think I put that over on this show enough um, and other podcasts I've done. I, I thoroughly enjoy gimmick matches, um, and the, the Royal Rumble is the greatest gimmick, I think, that has ever been put together. Um, I, I know if, if we went down the line and we talked about all the things that were gimmicks, um, the Royal Rumble, in my opinion, would be number one. I think War Games is number two, and Survivor Series is number three. Um, and then you can break it down into into the hell in the cell and things like that. But um, I just always thought that for a big, uh, a card changing gimmick, uh, the Royal Rumble was definitely up there for me. Yeah, oh, it's it's just it's just that that special thing. I mean, I think what what got me. I mean, I remember seeing the first one, the '89 one, and I know we're we're doing this in a different way, but just. The moment Action Smash went at it in the in the original in the '89 one, that hooked me. Yeah. Uh, seeing that they were my favourite tag team and uh, them going at it and then stopping the moment Andre came out and started attacking him. I mean, it, it was just it just made that match memorable. It made it um, it made it work and it's and it, and it continues to work to this day. It always works because of the nature of who's in there at what time, the the, the opportunities to have. 
people work together who never have or work against each other who you don't normally see. It, re- it just, it's always fascinating. Absolutely. Well, I think you and I can both agree we love the Royal Rumble. So let's change this thing up a little bit. Um, let's go through uh, what we have the same, what we have different. We're going to run through this. Um, we'll take a little bit of a break and then we'll hit the actual Royal Rumble match. So let's talk about what happened um, before the before that big event. Let's talk about our opening contest. You and I both agreed that we liked Ricky Steamboat versus uh, Ravishing Rick Rude. Um, yeah, yeah it was, that was a good match. on. That was a good start-off match on television. And, and I think the, the big... And, um, I think those two guys work well together. Absolutely. And the big thing is, these are two of your hottest young baby faces on the, on the company. Um, Rick Root is coming off you know, his debut year in the WWE. Um, come in, uh, get him a, a fresh start. He's about to get into a big feud with Jake the Snake. Um, you know, and, and build that up in a big way. Um, no better way to, to do that, you know, obviously, than with a guy like Ricky Steamboat who's established... Um, he's coming off a intercontinental title run that, you know, in my opinion, is one of the worst runs. But still, there's some magic. There's an aura around it because of the WrestleMania three match. Now, in real life, Ricky Steamboat actually defeated Rick Rude in 17 minutes. In our event, we actually had Rick Rude defeating Ricky Steamboat. And probably around a 10 to 12 minute match, cutting a little bit of time off of it. And uh, I think you and I both agreed that we want Rude to kind of slimily uh, get a victory here to, to start build up his credibility as we head into um, some of the bigger things that he could do this year for us. Yeah, I think I think the thing, I, was, I must admit, I was surprised when I saw the event um, that Steamboat went over, knowing that the political background that sort of went into his losing the IC title and... And, and pretty much when he came back after after that loss, when he really came back on the scene, he really seemed to be an afterthought. And then they had him in in on in the real in the real event. They had him go over Rude, and that just didn't didn't really make sense. And um, I think what would make more sense would be to have have this new guy, this guy who's just been in the main event of, of Survivor Series. He's um he's 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 fantastic in the ring. They're looking at using him in a big way throughout the year. I think they really need to give him that win to to establish him. I think a win over Steamboat establishes him as a somebody because, as you said, even though his title reign maybe wasn't that memorable, he lost it to Honky in the circumstances, he didn't all that. The fact of the matter is that Steamboat-Savage match, everyone still remembered it. It was still that moment in at WrestleMania 3 and Steamboat still had a lot of name and draw power because of that win. Absolutely. And here's the thing that, that bothers me is your heel totem pole in the WWF at this time, not counting tag teams. So number one is 1A and 1B, and that's DiBiase and Andre. Number two is the Honky Tonk Man. Who the hell is number three? I mean, at this point, they really weren't establishing credible guys that were going out and getting victories to build up who they were as, um, you know, as a legit contender, as somebody that was going to be kind of the next kind of big thing. And that's something that me, you, and Jeff, and Scott are, are looking at. And how can we, 
how can we use all of this talent and build up somebody? And I think Rick Root is a perfect example of somebody that we, we put in that position because he is going to be a moneymaker for us the rest of the year. Absolutely, I, I think you've I think you've put it perfectly. I mean, you look at that roster, and you know, after after those those three names that you listed, the next one off the agenda. I mean, you, you just you've just had King Kong Bundy doing on uh, a TV match with Hogan, but Bundy was on his way out. He he left the company by now. One man gang had only just arrived from UWF, and so he was still relatively new to the scene. Mm-hmm. And you know, apart outside of those guys, everyone else is is more mid card because they've just they've just turned savage. Savage yeah. has gone face, so he's no longer a heel, and that's where I think that's where the big change was. They'd lost Savage out of the heel ranks and into the babyface ranks, and really didn't have anyone positioned to to move in and take that spot. And I guess Rick Rude. You can see him. I mean, he does eventually move into a similar sort of role with the company, but he's the chance to start to make that happen. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, we have Rick Rude defeating Ricky Steamboat. Um, I think something dirty, you know, you definitely look at, um, at Bobby Heenan's out there. Um, I don't know if, if we want Bobby Heenan to get involved yet because of some of the later things that we have planned for him. Um, but I do think that he can have uh, maybe a minor role in this victory and, and really start to build the credibility of Rick Rude um, as we move on with him. Um, our next contest, uh, we both agreed that the Jumping Bomb Angels uh, versus the Glamour Girls, we want to keep that one on the, on the card. Um, I don't know if we, if we still keep the two out of three falls um, concept to it, though. Uh, we're looking at possibly just one fall. Jumping bomb angels go over the glamour girls in about ten minutes. Again, we're cutting five minutes off of that off that original match of uh, in reality when the angels did defeat the glamour girls at the original show. Yeah, I think I think cutting it down to one fall uh, on an event that we, we with the increased matches that we've had, I think that will um, that that sort of saves a bit of time. Uh, it allows them to work perhaps a more regular match, but the bomb angels don't. I mean, that was that was a really good match on TV. And apart from the fact that the owner of the company couldn't pronounce their names, uh, and that has always bugged me that Vince McMahon, whether he just did it as a TV character commentator thing where he couldn't do it, or whether he legitimately didn't know his own roster people's names, I always got annoyed by that. But, I mean, these, these two teams put on a good match on TV. They can put on a good 10-minute you know, match that, you know, the Bomb Angels are going to come out, they're going to look good, they're doing stuff that no women, that half the men didn't do, let alone any of the women mm-hmm. at the time, and it really, it, it would be, it would it would stand out, and I think that one fall cuts away the, the impression that they might lose by cheating, maybe they didn't deserve to win the titles or whatever, one fall, clean finish, they take the belts, they look good in the process. Yep, and then after that, there's really nothing because the women, the tag team women's division, I mean, it kind of just goes defunct um, in a couple months anyway. So um, cut a little bit of time off, give the Angels their due because they do deserve it. They're two of the, you know, two of the most talented uh, women wrestlers I know. Um, and it's it'd be interesting to see how they would how they would fit into a 1999 to 2004 WWE you know, with, with the talent that they had to go against some, some women that wrestled at that time, like a Trish or a Lita um, or a Jazz or somebody like that, how they would fit in that mold. I, I think that would always be interesting to go back and look at. Yeah, I've, ne- I've never thought of it like that. I've certainly, I'm certainly picturing a match with Lita could have been very interesting because Lita had that, 
that high flying that sort of moved off the top rope a little bit more and did the daredevil sort of stuff and oh, that could have made a very interesting match absolutely and I, I think the big thing that I'd look at there is um, just the the suicide aspect of the work rate you know these these women are going to go out there and they're literally going to give it everything they got and anything could happen so um, you know give the give the bomb angels their due um, we both like it um, and then at this point we're going to move into our segment that happened on the show um i think we both agreed that the dino bravo segment was beneficial um for character development he's a guy that's like i just talked about with rick rude they're trying to establish him in some way shape form or fashion i don't personally think that the character development is as important when it comes down to somebody that comes out to the ring and does it but i do like the gimmick it's something that he would hold on to until earthquake came um, which was quite some time. So um, we'll give him we'll give him some credit here. Um, of course, we do have the Jesse Ventura. I only used a pinky's worth of strength, um, but uh, you know the the Dino Bravo uh, 715 pound bench press. Um, I, I think we both agree that 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 stays in the card. And I think the big the big factor of that is, as you said, I mean this was this is basically the gimmick he held on to for the next two years. I mean. You just every every event you saw, Gorilla was talking about, you know, how he claimed you that you know, it's the announcement of the world's strongest man, and Gorilla talking about how Jesse helped him, and Jesse, uh, you're going to bring that up again, and you know, all that. Just it, it really it made. That's what you remember Dino Bravo for this this single of you know segment, and the way he used it for the next two years, and I think you can't. I felt that you couldn't take that away from Dino Bravo as a character. He needed that because that really made his WWF career. Absolutely, and and it worked. It worked in my opinion. It worked in yours. Um, we keep it in there for him. Uh, you know, just a, a very a very basic little uh, thing to to help him get over um, in some way. And maybe he is lower mid card guy at that point and we look at Root as being an upper mid-card guy somebody that can still wrestle because you're looking at a huge group of babyface talent I mean shit look at that Survivor Series team with Savage, Brutus, Hacksaw, Jake and Ricky of five guys that could jump in and and be upper mid-card guys that that definitely is what we need there so um keeping Dino Bravo <laughs> you know looking strong in some uh sense of the word and, uh, you know, moving forward with that. So um, now at this point, this is the first time that we're really going to change uh, something and add some new people in. Um, on this card, we're actually going to be bringing in some of those guys that were at that house show. The first instance of that is Bad News Brown defeating Ken Patera in about four minutes. Now, these guys would actually go on to have a SummerSlam 1988 match. And I think the consensus between the th uh, the four of us when we put this together is we want to push Bad News Brown to the moon and really make him as legitimate as possible. And over the next three shows, you'll see we really put him in a position to to look like he is worth a million dollars and somebody that's going to challenge our champion. Um, and I think that starts here with a formidable contender, a guy that has a name, and that's Ken Patera. And I think the key to this is, I mean, Bad News had just come in. I, I can't remember how long he'd been with the company for, but he's only just arrived. He's He's got that look. He looked like a badass. I mean, Bad News was ahead of his time. I mean, they really had him ahead of his time. He was he was different at that time. And 
Um, I always enjoyed watching watching him. He might not have been the best in the ring, but I enjoyed watching his character and, and what they did with him. And I think the key to this is he needs to go over Patera quickly. Patera can get, you know, I can picture bad news, jumping in before the bell, beating him down a little bit. Patera makes that sort of short mid-match comeback, but then bad news just gets back on top. Puts him down with the uh, with the ghetto blaster, gets the win, and you know it's all said and done. You know, no knock on Patera, but bad news. Bad news needed to be pushed well. Absolutely. Um, and and you know we've got it that as a four minute contest. Um, you know let Patera get a little bit in, but bad news comes out, and and he's looking strong um, because of what we have in store for him uh, throughout the year. He's somebody that we're going to slowly build up in the ring. Um, he's got a little bit of charisma, something that he can use. Um, but not somebody that's going to talk him into the seats. You know, his real uh, his real niche was his ability in the ring to to really beat somebody up in his looks. So let's start that off here against a formidable com- uh, competitor, um, defeating Kim Patera. Uh, Bad news, Brown with a big win as we move forward. Um, I did just want to take a quick moment because I wanted to look up this Dino Bravo weightlifting thing, and it's interesting. And I don't know how credible Wikipedia is at every sense of the word, but um, to go back and look at some of the history of the bench press. And the first uh, record that they have is George Hackeschmidt, who's um, a famous professional wrestler at 360, yeah. 361 pounds back in 1898. Um, and then they actually have, in 1959, Bruno San Martino at 500, wow. 565 pounds. Um, Gee, that, 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 I'm... that's pretty impressive. Oh, I always knew they, they talked about San Martino. Yeah, they always talked about San Martino being legitimately strong. Obviously, that's before my time, but yeah. but that that's that's impressive. And 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 to to have that legitimacy, I guess you know that legitimacy at that time would have been would have been amazing. I mean, they always talked about him being the the strong man, and I guess having that record for a while would have would have definitely helped his career, and probably maybe one of the reasons why they pushed him as hard and as, as strong as they did so early on. Yeah. Um, and then to go to 1979, uh, Blast from the Past, WCW 91, uh, Bill Kazmaier actually has a couple of the records here. Um, his highest was 639 pounds. And then that was broken by Ted Arcidi, who is another professional wrestler. And Ted Arcidi actually broke a record, uh, broke it there, and then he also broke uh, with a, a bench press shirt. Um, he benched over, first man to bench over 700 pounds. Wow. So can you ima- can you imagine a match between our CD and Bill Kazmaier? Oh. I think it would be the slowest, most. I mean, they talk about some horrible matches in the days. That would be just be that would be just a nightmare to watch yeah. that one. Well, and as we talk about that legitimacy, you know, Mark Henry. I know that they they said that uh, you know they build him as the world's strongest man. But if you go look at the records, he still holds like the raw. Uh, the raw strength records for for weightlifting. I mean, without any extra gimmicks and stuff like that, any shirts or any of that jazz, he actually holds records for for weightlifting. And it's just too bad he was never able to capitalize on on some of that. But yeah. And anyways, as we like to you know digress here, sometimes it's interesting to look at that, and especially you know how are we going to build somebody? Um, Dino Bravo, we can make that work for him as part of his comedy angle. Um, for bad news, Brown, we want him to be legitimate. So, um, actually, just 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 thinking offhand, talking about things people have done outside. I mean, I'm just looking at the fact from what I remember. If I remember right, I think bad news was 
Wasn't he an Olympic? Yep. Wasn't he an Olympic judo yep. competitor? Absolutely. And then you've got Kemper Terry here, the 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 former Olympic weightlifter. So yeah, yeah we're really bringing in all the uh, all the, the the legitimacy to the to the event. Yep. He uh, he won a bronze medal in the heavyweight judo at the '76 Olympics. Uh, did uh, um, Bad News Brown uh, originally Alan Co Coage? I I don't know if I'm saying that right, but um, you know you know known for his days in Stampede and and being kind of a renegade and a mercenary for himself. But, you know, definitely a legitimate guy that could go out in the ring and do it. Um, Ken Patera, was, he was in the Olympics, and uh, he qualified in 72. Um, so, uh, you know, definitely, you know, building off their legitimacy together, um, I think that's a, a pretty good feud that even if we have it here, um, it can, it's got a little bit of length, too, that we can build off of that as we, as we build up bad news. So... Yeah. Um, let's move on to our next match. Um, this is one that uh, you know we're going to change from what originally happened. Um, we both agreed that this feud between the Islanders and the British Bulldogs um, is special. It's important, and it's something that we want to put on you know on a on a bigger stage because our tag team division is kind of going through a change right now. Um, we got to see the the great depth of the tag team division at the '87 Survivor Series, and even as we Fast forward to the 88 Survivor Series and see that depth continue to grow. These are two teams that we can do something with. Now, originally, the Islanders defeated the Young Stallions, um, Paul Roman and Jim Powers, in a two out of three falls match again. They beat them in two straight falls. With this match here, we're actually just going to do one fall. Um, and I went back and I watched the wrestling challenge going up to this. And even, I mean, right at the beginning of the year, they're really hitting home on this angle with Bobby Heenan taking the dog. Um, taking Matilda. Um, and, and you and I both agreed that these two teams could go, they could definitely go out there and, and throw some throw some bombs at one another. Um, we looked at it being about a 10 to 12 minute match. Again, a little bit of time uh, to build up both teams, but then we have a couple of extra things going on. Bobby Heenan actually comes down with Matilda because at this point, um, I don't think that they had anything legit on Heenan and Matilda yet. So he could come down with Matilda. This could lead the British Bulldogs to um, get counted out as they, they chase Bobby Heenan. Uh, and we talked, maybe they even catch him and they, they get the dog and they release him onto Heenan um, and let, the, you know, let Matilda get after him a little bit. Um, but the real story is that the Islanders get the victory. Um, and then the Bulldogs, they of course retrieve Matilda and now they can, they can really be set in their ways to continue the feud. Yeah, I think you know it surprised me that they put the Islanders against the Young Stallions originally. I mean, even even back then, the Young Stallions, everyone knew they were nothing more than glorified jobbers, and and that that just didn't seem to make sense. The Bulldogs were were, were not even mentioned, and and here's the opportunity to build off what they've been doing on TV anyway, with the whole stealing of Matilda and and all that, and and allow uh, like a bridge to what happened at Mania because. I don't know. I think you guys are looking at doing the same thing at Mania, and you can talk about this later. But you had that event where it was it was the Islanders and Heenan together in a six man with the Bulldogs, and I think they had Tito as their partner. But I oh know it wasn't have been Tito; it was Coco as their partner. Sorry, yeah. but th this allows you to, to build to a similar sort of match where you know the Bulldogs have got the anger, the the desire to get Matilda back, the desire to take on take out Heenan, overwhelms them, they rush out of the ring, 
get Matilda back. Um, Matilda can, you know, I can just picture Heenan holding Matilda as if she's attacking him, but there's no real any. No, I mean, that, that dog was the, I reckon it was, it was on more drugs than David Boy and Dynamite <laughs> ever were. But, um, you know, you could just picture him holding him there, being slobbered on as if he's been attacked, which leads him to wear that, that ridiculous suit that he wore at, um, at WrestleMania. That was hilarious. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the, and the Bulldogs get counted out. You could even have after they, they get the count out win, the Islanders could even come down and, you get to have the brawl, a little bit of a, a bit of a fight in the in the um, in the aisle way while they while they sort of battle battle back to the back to the you know to the outside or whatever. But it, it, it's to, it's a foundation building match. This is the match that that continues that feud and builds to what you want to do later on in the year. Absolutely, and I think you and I actually may throw a little variable into our main event match as we get to that. Um, I'm going to keep you apprised when we get there, but. Um, long story short, the Islanders actually get a victory. We want to make sure that's clear. They get a victory over the Bulldogs, but the Bulldogs end up getting another victory when they get Matilda back, and it just sets the stage for what will eventually come um, between these two teams. We're giving that feud some teeth, um, giving you know the heels a victory here um, as we move forward. Um, after that, we, we go on to our big segment, this is Andre and Hogan with the contract signing. We're going to give this about 10 to 15 minutes. Um, looking at the, the big deal of this is setting up that main event card. Um, you're looking at Hogan versus Andre for the first time since WrestleMania 3. The World Heavyweight Championship is going to be on the line. DiBiase is there because he says that he's going to buy the world title. Um, I think that we have this thing go down exactly how it did in real life. Yeah, this was this is the angle that built everything that led up to WrestleMania. The the main the, the main event, the the WrestleMania the, in the real life, the WrestleMania tournament, and, and the plans that you guys have got that we've been talking about that are going to develop in, in in our little in our little three three part series here. But this is the, the the event that it all hinges around. I think you still need that Hogan Andre match at the main event. You still need this contract signing sets up DiBiase wanting to buy it, Andre promising to sell it. Um, you know Hogan talking about how he doesn't sell out and, and how he's the, you know never going to sell out and all that. And it just it it was just it's the perfect setup, and it also allows you to keep Hogan and Andre out of the out of the Royal Rumble match, which uh, they're still on the card on a on a major event, but we don't have them getting involved in this Rumble match, which there are other plans for, and we don't want them near them. Absolutely. And I know even in our early drafts, you and I were discussing what's Ted DiBiase's role at this event, um, and what's his role really over the next three shows. And um, it's at this point, we I, I think we both agree, we really like this angle um, with, with Hogan and Andre. So um, that's a that's a good setup. We, we get that legitimacy, the contract signing, um, you know, the big event, and uh, um, I, I like it. I think it works, and, and you move forward with, with the angle and move forward to um, the big main event uh, contest, which we're going to get to here in a couple minutes, and, um, you know, take it from there. Our next match on the card, uh, this is actually our one, two, three, one, two, three, four, fifth match, um, and this is uh, two guys that were also... Um, being used at that house show, we're going to have um, the culmination of this feud that's been going on since WrestleMania 3. We're going to have Brutus Beefcake 
going up against Greg, the Hammer Valentine. I think we go 10 to 15 minutes with these guys. Um, let Valentine get warmed up, get some heat. But in reality, uh, we want Brutus Beefcake getting a victory because, like we talked about earlier, he's somebody that we want to push and, and get ready for some big things at, uh, throughout the year. Yeah, and I think you, know, you, you had, I mean, the reality was that when Hogan, when Hogan, when Beefcake was kicked out of uh, the Dream Team and they brought Bravo in, they never really had any prominent blow-off to what happened because Valentine and Bravo became the tag team right through to just after Survivor Series. And I think this allows them, you can, you can imagine Jesse and Vince picking up on the fact that they were the former tag team champions, that, that you know, they deserted Beefcake at, at, um, at WrestleMania 3. The Beefcake's you know, changed. He's a, he's a better wrestler now. He's, he's, he's much more improved. He's, got, he's also now the barber, and he's going to want the hair. And, you know, Valentine had that long hair. And, you know, you can just picture that, that build-up all being used effectively. Jesse, you know, talking about how Valentine was the one who carried Beefcake in the team. And McMahon maybe saying that, that Valentine trained Beefcake. Maybe he trained him too well or helped him improve too much. And, and at the end of the match, Beefcake gets that win, sort of puts the signature on it to be able to move forward. And, and I'm just picturing, I, I want, I'd love to see him at this point. I know Jimmy wasn't the manager of the Dream Team, but I'm just picturing Brutus getting his hands on Jimmy because you're never going to cut Greg Valentine's hair. You can't cut Greg Valentine's hair. That's, that's who he is. But I can imagine what they did you know, at Mania where they cut a bit of Jimmy's head. I can picture them doing it here. He gets Jimmy after the match. He, you know, maybe Jimmy's tried to interfere or stop Valentine from losing or whatever. And Beefcake grabs him, and out come the scissors. And you know, you know, maybe he even puts Valentine to sleep. And when he goes to cut Valentine's hair, Jimmy interferes, and so he cuts Jimmy's hair instead. Something like that. That just sort of really gets the crowd built back up, and 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 you know, really just sort of puts Beefcake over. Absolutely, and and. We both think that, I mean, I think Beefcake had some steam at this point um, coming in, and he's got a future ahead of him if, if we use him in the right way. Um, and we'll talk about that over the next couple shows of what our, uh, what our plans are for him. That um, They kind of mirror what they did in the, in the WWF, but for the most part, um, we're, we're capping off this first part of the night uh, with Brutus Beefcake getting a big victory, um, you know, having him go over, having him... Uh, you know, be in a position of, of strength as he heads to, um, you know, the main event and, and how do we set him up for the rest of the year. I, I really think as we've gone through this first part of the, the episode, um, we are pushing how important it is for this to be our catalyst for the rest of the year. This is our big jump off point from here forth. Um, we are setting everybody up for what will be a transitional year in the WWF where we're putting new guys in the new spots to to lead us for the next couple years, and um, I think Beefcake can definitely be one of those guys that's important to that uh, that build. Absolutely, and 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 the reality is whether you know, I mean, Beefcake became he was, I mean, whether you liked his ability or not, and you know, we can all criticize Beefcake's in ring ability, but I remember. Being a youngster, and Beefcake was a favourite. Beefcake was popular. He had charisma. He had a presence, and he was a big part of that 88, 89 time period. He really was a major player, and this, I think, would help move him past the 
former tag team bloke who's starting to get a bit of a roll on to this guy as a player now. Um, Valentine, even though he'd been in and out of the tag teams, he was legitimate. Former IC champ. People knew his background. Even if they were only WWF fans, and you know, you knew that Valentine was a tough man to beat. Yep. And putting Beefcake over him gives you gives him legitimacy to to be able to build upon. Absolutely. And uh, you know, I think Greg Valentine's pretty untouchable in that aspect because if you look at Valentine's career, we don't have anything really big planned for him. Um, you know, he, he has a modest WWE run for the next four or five years. Um, nothing huge. You know, just a very solid mid-card guy that you know is going to go out there and really do some work. His glory days are behind him at this point, but still a formidable competitor that will get some wins, will be in some decent enough feuds, but for the most part, he's, he's a placeholder in the WWF. So, um, As we look through our card, we, we've set up this first part of the show. Um, Ricky Steamboat and Rick Rude open the show. We've got Rick Rude going over. Um, Jumping Bomb Angels defeating the Glamour Girls for the, the women's tag team titles. Dino Bravo uh, doing the bench press 715 pounds with uh, Jesse Ventura's pinkies. Uh, Bad News Brown getting a, a big win over Ken Patera and his first shot in the limelight. The Islanders actually defeating the British Bulldogs, but the Bulldogs getting Matilda back. We've got Hogan and Andre signing the contract for the main event. And then we've got Brutus Beefcake defeating Greg the Hammer Valentine, um, starting his role into 1988. And, uh, you know, that's the first part of our show. And, and Dave, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to change that 20-man Royal Rumble. We're going to put an extra 10 guys in it. And we're going to add some, some extra juice to this thing. Sound good? Sounds awesome. All right. Well, before we head out, I just want to give you guys a quick message from uh, our friends over at the Place to Be Nation. Um, I do some writing for them when I get free time. And, uh, you know, we're going to be using some of the people in their, in their unit to, uh, to put this thing together. So we'll be right back. Don't forget to check out our good friends at placetobenation.com. They cover everything from wrestling, MMA, sports, comics, movies, television, music, gaming, and more. They are the home of the one and only Place to Be podcast, exclusively featuring the Kevin Kelly Show and the Steve Carino Show. PlaceToBeNation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. All right, welcome back to the Low Blow Booking Podcast. Uh, hopefully you got a chance to get a quick 30-second breather there, um, you know, get some chips, get something in your system. If you're driving, thank you very much for listening. Uh, you know, make sure, like I said earlier, well, let's get this thing out there. Let's get the uh, the trifectas coming at you big here with the 1988 WWF. We're going through the Royal Rumble right now, and we're live from the Cobbs Coliseum in uh, Canada here for the Royal Rumble, our first um, you know, look at changing some of the things in 1988, using this as a uh, rocket ship to lift off what's going to be um, probably about a good two years uh, in, in most of these guys' careers, especially with the NWA and uh, WCW coming together and, and building up at this point. So um, my, myself and Dave Hall are, are looking at this show, and it, it is now time to look at our main event, the Royal Rumble match. Originally... It was a 20-man uh, Royal Rumble with numbers one and number two starting out in the ring, and then every 30 or every two minutes there would be a new person that comes in. Dave and I are actually going to 
keep that same concept, except we're going to bring in 10 more guys that were not used on this card that were on that other house show, and we're going to make this a full-on 30-man uh, Royal Rumble, and we're even going to add the stipulation, the man who wins this match will get a World Wrestling Federation title shot at WrestleMania 4. That's the big hook, ladies and gentlemen. As we go back and we look at 1988, we're going to add a sprinkle in of some of the current stuff that happens. And we're going to be changing that WrestleMania 4 card. That's going to be coming at you next month. I'm, I'm pretty excited for what we have. Dave, you and I have talked about it a little bit with Jeffrey already. Um, and I'm excited for what we've got here for the Royal Rumble. So um, we've talked a little bit at the beginning, uh, looking at this original Royal Rumble match. Both you and I were both kind of let down with what happened. Um, and I think that what we have here uh, ends up being a little bit better. Would you agree? I think so. I think I think it. Um, I think we've added a little bit more star power, and I think the impact of that and the, some of the booking decisions we've had come out as a result of it have. Um, I think would, would make for a better viewing, make for a very enjoyable event if it had actually happened. Absolutely. All right. Well, needless to say, it is time to rumble. Number one is going to be. The same guy that started it out in 1988 originally. Uh, we both agreed that Bret Hart would be number one. And then number two would be Tito Santana. Um, as we go through this, we're going we're gonna to name five guys at a time. And we're going to talk about any kind of angles or anything that we're going to be doing. Um, so, again, number one, Bret Hart. Uh, number two, Tito Santana. Um, Dave, do we want them to start in the ring like they did? Or do we want to do number one and number two as they come down? No, I don't think it. I don't think it hurts to have him start in the ring. I think that that worked fine for the for the first one. I mean, they're they at the time they're tag team wrestlers, and and it allows them to build off. You can, you know, you'll have Jesse and Vince talking about how Strikeforce took the titles from the Hart Foundation. They they want you know Brett wants revenge on Santana. It, it allows that heat to develop, and I think one of the things I always found the difference between the '88 Rumble and the '89 is in '89 they really pumped the every man for himself but the 88 rumble was a typical battle royal what fans were used to with heels normally facing heels and and uh, sorry heels battling faces and and that's really about it and this allows that that concept to just be maintained that here's two guys we know they, they there's an issue because of the tag titles let them go at it for a few minutes a couple of minutes and and start to build around them absolutely and and we're going to talk about what we what we want to do with Bret Hart here as we go on but Let's let's start our order here. So um, number three is the natural Butch Reed. Number four is Jake the Snake Roberts, and number five is Jim the Anvil Nightheart. So we're not going too far away from what actually happened. We actually just switched uh, Jake Roberts down to number four instead of having him come out number five. I think the biggest uh, reason why we did that is um, let's let. Tito get beat up a little bit, but let's not make it insurmountable for him. I still think the same outcome is coming as we've got these five guys in the ring. Um, you've got two solid baby faces and Tito and Jake, um, two guys on the rise. You've got a tag team in there already. So you've got Jesse and Vince putting over the, the tag team component to the Royal Rumble. And you've got Butch Reed, who, who's just a solid talent at this time. Yeah, and it's a, it's a shame because I always felt I, I felt Butch Reed's WWE from was a real letdown, and and I guess you know I, I mean again all I ever saw down here in Australia we had WrestleMania, we had Survivor Series, we had the pay per view events, and and we got superstars. So we didn't see a lot of what happened on the house shows and stuff. But 
you know, I remember I remember there was a lot of talk about who he who he'd been before he came and never really seemed to do a lot in the WWF and you know, he can get in there early at number three, he can he can pound away, but he's not gonna be he's not gonna be highlighted in this role. He's not taking away from other guys. Um, we've we've got some purpose behind what we want. We want Tito Santana to stay in there for a while. Uh, we've got something happening with him a little bit later on. You can picture Jake coming in to make maybe a bit of the save you know, sort of break up that two-on-one attack and then the anvil comes down, we've got a tag team together. They're going to work together. They're going to work on Santana. They're going to work on the snake. Yep. And they're going to have a, um, you know, a, a, it'll, it'll make for good visuals. Absolutely. And um, I think that's the, the key component to, um, even when I wrestled, the key component to a good heel versus face thing is you want to make the fans believe that the faces, the baby faces, have a chance, and then you cut that hope out from underneath them, only to build it back up. That's what we do with Jake the Snake coming in at number four, because at this point, Tito Santana looks like his ass is grass. And you bring in Tito at number four, or you bring in Jake at number four to give the fans some hope, but then you take it away again when, um, when, You've got Jim Neidhart coming out at number five. I don't mind the way that they did it originally, to be honest. It, it, it's not a bad thing, but um, just to kind of add something to it as we move along. And so, you probably even see, I know I know we haven't really talked a lot about what goes where, but you can even maybe see Jake even maybe once the anvils arrive, Jake could even maybe pull that elimination of Butch Reed, you know, that sort of that backdrop over the top rope, you know, charging at the ropes or whatever, just to have your, your first elimination out of the way mm-hmm. and so that you don't have too many guys in the ring too quickly. Absolutely. Um, and so at this point, we're going with number six, is actually going to be a guy that wasn't on the show. Uh, we're going to have Coco Beware coming in at number six. Number seven, we're going to have Jacques Rougeau coming in. Number eight is Rick Martel. So Strike Force and the Heart Foundation are in together. Number nine is Hillbilly Jim. And then number 10 is another guy that wasn't on this show, and that is Demolition Axe. I think, you know, I think, I think you're looking at a section here. You've got a couple of guys in there that you can allow to be eliminated at any time, and there's going to be no issues. Your Coco Beware, your Jacques Rougeau, they can, they can be tossed by, by pretty well anyone. I mean, this is just before the Rougeaus really started to get pushed um, coming out of, you know, in that sort of that mid-88 time period. But really, they were very generic at this stage, Jacques and Raymond. So you've got a couple of guys that you can you can get rid of when you need to, that they're not going to, the fans aren't going to be too invested in them. You've got Martel arriving, and he and he and Tito can start to work together if Tito hasn't been eliminated. You've got the Hearts and the and Strike Force together. You could even I could even picture that, Martel arrives, and not long after, he and Santana manage to maybe a double drop kick on the anvil, and the anvil goes out. Mm-hmm. I, and in one of the, there's two stories that that we're starting to build right now with the guys in the ring. Um, well, a couple of stories, but two big ones. We're having Bret Hart go out and put on a performance tonight because the Hart Foundation are kind of in limbo, and what we're going to be doing over the next couple months is we're going to kind of be doing a little turn with the Heart Foundation and making them acting a little bit more babyface. With that, um, you see some of that subtle stuff here tonight. And we're trying to do it um, in a way where we show Bret Hart in such a positive light. He does 
such a good job at the Royal Rumble in the matchup that hopefully the fans can buy into who he is and what the Hart Foundation could be. On the other side, we're actually looking at doing Jacques and Raymond. We're actually looking at, at turning them heel in the same fashion. Um, and I, I see Jacques uh, kind of pulling a, you know, a, a, a heel move by eliminating somebody like Coco Beware, who is a solid babyface. But Jacques action, acting a little heel in that role, um, getting elimination on Coco because of the circumstances of the match, um, and, and kind of planting the seed for somebody like Jesse to, to start to put that over. Yeah, and at the same time, you can picture him eliminating him and then sort of doing the, gee, I'm, I'm sorry, Coco, maybe even reaching out to shake his hand and, and, and you know, sort of, look, I didn't mean it, I, I didn't realize you were there. And then, um, but like you said, but, but Jesse sort of can harp on it later on, like, you know, why, why would Jacques Rougeau go, you know, take on Coco, you know, do that to Coco, and I thought they were supposed to be friends or all that sort of thing, and, you know, there's something more here than, than, than you know, I think there's something more to this, you know. You can even have a couple of times maybe Jacques gets involved in some battles with, you know, just, just breaking things up, like, you know, maybe maybe takes a couple of shots at Jake the Snake or a Hillbilly Jim or, you know, whatever's happening that, you know, those sort of, Jacques is almost playing that every man for himself role, and and Jesse could play that up, and Vince could be questioning what's going on, and Jesse could come back with, well, it's you know, only one man can win the event, and I guess you know Jacques knows that he's he's got to try and eliminate everyone, and and you know, sort of subtly play into it without being too overt and too in the face. Absolutely, and and Jesse's the best at doing that. So let's use Jesse's strength and and do that there. Um, so as we've gone through our first 10, um, it sounds like we had Butch Reed getting eliminated by Jake the Snake, uh, Strike Force getting a double drop kick on Jim Neidhart, and then Coco Beware falling uh, to Jacques Rougeau uh, in a surprising move. So in the ring, we still have Bret Hart, Tito Santana, Jake the Snake, Jacques Rougeau, Rick Martel, Hillbilly Jim, and Axe. Now, we start to get into kind of the meat and potatoes of our match here with these next 10. Um... Number 11 is going to be Jim Brunzel. Number 12 is going to be Boris Zukov. Number 13 is going to be Demolition Smash. Number uh, 14 is Don Morocco. And number 15 is Nikolai Volkov. So at this point, we now have Strike Force in the ring together. We now have Demolition in the ring together. And we've got uh, the Bolsheviks with um, Boris and Nikolai in the ring together, along with some solid guys. Um, some baby faces like Don Morocco uh, coming in and Hillbilly Jim, um, and then of course some fodder like Jim Brunzel. And and I didn't when when we did the first ten when we mentioned Axe, I didn't intentionally didn't say anything about Axe because we I wanted to tie it in with what we were doing here. But I really picture Axe Axe arriving to the ring and just immediately going for Santana or Martel and just pounding away at them. And and not he doesn't have the support yet, but everyone Axe goes against. He he really gets on top of. Uh, maybe he, you keep him away from Jake just to just to keep Jake sort of immune to that. But you're picturing Axe pummeling anyone, and then when Smash comes in at thirteen, I'm just picturing Jesse going, "Watch out!" You know, now everyone's in trouble, and Axe and Smash just laying waste. They, you know, I can I can picture them tossing out, you know, what, you know, getting in there and just pummeling everyone, and tossing out. Probably at this point, Tito. 
uh, Tito to start with, and then maybe not long after that, Martel. Maybe one of them goes with a double clothesline, the other one goes with the, the backdrop over the top rope. But really, Axe and Smash just do that job that really cements them in the eyes of the viewers and public as this is the next tag team. They were the ones that were going to get the shot. They're the ones that are going to basically be the foundation of the division for two and a half years. Here is the opportunity to showcase that. They come in and they lay waste. And and to add to that, I'm going to throw uh, Hillbilly Jim and I'm going to throw Jim Brunzel um, under that same boat. I think those are guys at this point where we've cleaned the ring a little bit. Um, at this point, uh, through 15 guys, we've got Bret Hart still making a, a solid run. He's doing some good stuff. Jake the Snake is still in there. Jacques Rougeau is still in there. And then we've got Axe and Smash, Boris and Nikolai, and then Don Morocco. So and, and yeah, and paying off what you were saying before about subtly doing stuff with heart. I mean you could even have a couple of shots where you know Axe and Smash are just laying waste to everyone and so he's Bret Hart in the corner, clutching the ropes while both Axe and Smash just pound on him for just a moment as they go through a process of pounding on everyone. So it doesn't appear that they've targeted Hart. But you know, you can just you can see Hart the, the, the this grim desperation to stay in the ring while he's being pummeled by the you know, these two huge, you know, face painted guys who who just demolishing everyone in the ring. It, it just be I think it'd be a good little image there. And and Dave, I love that segue because now we're going to number sixteen through number uh, twenty. And number sixteen is a guy who has got a main event written all over him. And we're bringing in the Ultimate Warrior at number 16. Number 17. Now we're going to start to bring in some of our established guys. We've had some fodder to start, but we're going to bring in some established guys. Uh, we've got Ron Bass coming in at 17. Number 18, we've got Harley Race. Number 19, we've got Hercules. And number 20, we've got the Junkyard Dog. Um, I think at this point, we, we bring in some real legit names. And we're going to start to slow the match down a little bit. Um, and, and start to let the ring build up uh, with some competitors in there. Um, I know the, the big thing that, that we talked about, I like the Ultimate Warrior coming in and him eliminating Boris and Nikolai with the double clothesline and getting both of those guys out of the ring to establish him as a true star in the making at this point. Yeah, um, you really want to put him over. And I, I could even see maybe... Maybe him, maybe not necessarily immediately, but within the next couple of minutes after he gets in there, possibly being the one who gets rid of either axe or smash. So, so you've got you've got warrior being the one who breaks up that little power power couple of, of axe and smash and, and and opens the rumble back up again. Because I'm I'm just picturing Ventura sort of going, can anyone stop axe and smash at this point? And then out comes the warrior, and and the warrior does his thing and sends Zukov and Volkov out, and, and maybe puts one of Axis Smash out, and, and sort of McMahon going, you know, my goodness, would you look at that, and you know, and and Jesse with his I can't believe it sort of line, and it, it really it really sort of has that impact of of putting the warrior up, and then you've got the other guys coming in after that, you know, Race coming in, he's solid. And then Hercules, I think I think it'd be good for Hercules to come in. Maybe he gets an elimination of 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 of, of someone else, someone who's maybe been in the while. Maybe you know, maybe he can be the one who gets rid of Jake the Snake. I'm not sure. You know, you need someone who who can get rid of a couple of guys. But you know, obviously we 
we've got a purpose to what we're wanting to do because we want to build to a showdown in the middle of the match between Warrior and Hercules. Yep. Um, I think at this point, um, Jacques Rougeau is that guy that Hercules gets rid of. Um, at this point, Jacques has, has been in there a little bit. He, he's proved his point. Um, he started to act a little bit heel, but in reality, he's still a babyface. So um, we eliminate Jacques Rougeau. And I think this is a good time to plant a seed for, for what's to come with Jake the Snake. Um, having Harley Race and, and Hercules both eliminate Jake the Snake so that he can plant that seed for what he's going to be doing with the Heenan family for the rest of the year. Um, yeah, that, that works, yeah. And I think um, we're probably going to take out apps at this point. Um, Smash um, was the younger guy. He had a little bit more stamina in the ring at this point. So um, we've gone 1 through 20. Um, we've got some established stars in the ring. Right now we've got Bret Hart. Smash, Don Morocco, The Ultimate Warrior, Ron Bass, Harley Race, Hercules, and The Junkyard Dog. Um, I can you, can, see... you can even picture, I mean, I'm just, just thinking offhand, you could even picture JYD possibly even eliminating Ron Bass and sort of, because Bass, Bass wasn't really, there wasn't much going on for him at this point. He's really making up numbers, and that would be someone who JYD could get rid of and, and, and you know, keeps that sort of that that image, you know, JYD, the big popular guy, he was still over big time in 88, and, you know, early 88, and it would have, would have given him a good elimination. And, and, and the only, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to halt that just for a second. I like the idea of it, but I want to save that elimination for our next guy. Um, because I want our next guy to come in with a huge pop and, and eliminate somebody quickly before, um, kind of the, the dust settles. Um, and, and that would be one of those guys is Ron Bass. Because coming out at number 21, now we have our extra 10 guys. Um, some of these guys were not on the show. Um, and uh, number 21 is our biggest baby face in this contest, and that is Randy Macho Man Savage. I, I, I like him coming in quickly to get that elimination on Ron Bass. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, yeah, no, that works. Yeah. And then number 22, we have Dino Bravo coming out. 23 is Hacksaw Jim Duggan. 24 is Danny Davis. And then 25 is Bam Bam Bigelow. Yeah, and you've got, now you've got, like you said, you've got some bigger names starting to come out. Bravo coming out on the back of his World's Strongest Man. And just like happened in 88, you're picturing Ventura just building this up. He, you know, he, can, he lifted that bar. He's going to throw everyone out. McMahon starts to bait Ventura. You helped him. And and all and that, you know, Duggan comes out with his two by four and, you know, you know, Ventura can get on his back, and you know, just you've got some, you got some big guys here who are gonna, who are gonna play a big part in the last, you know, last few minutes of, of this event. And it's probably around this time you're also going to want to look at eliminating these guys who've been around for a while. So I think it's around now someone's going to be eliminating Smash, and, yep. and someone's going to be eliminating, you know, Jake the Snake. I think we've already said he's he's gone, but this is probably around about the time that Brett's going to go as well. Absolutely. I, I look at what we've got here. Um, Randy Savage comes in, a big blaze of glory, eliminates Ron Bass quickly, and then this is where you kind of have that culmination uh, with the Jimmy Hart thing. Um, Brett Hart has fought so gallantly all night, but Randy Savage eliminates him. Um, at this point, I also like looking at Dino Bravo getting an elimination on somebody like Don Morocco, um, an established guy, uh, building his credibility a little bit. And then um, Smash uh, getting thrown out here. That's where I like the Junkyard Dog doing that for Smash. I like him throwing yep. him out. Um, 
And then also <laughs> when Bam Bam gets in the ring, Danny Davis, uh, we talked about uh, you know him getting press slammed over the top rope um, at this point because Danny Davis is is complete fodder. Um, and Bam Bam comes in with a big a big shot there, uh, eliminates him. And then now you have you and I talked about this angle with uh, the Ultimate Warrior and Hercules. So why don't you set that up for us? Yeah, I think I think as as, as numbers start to diminish, you're going to have that segment where Warrior and Hercules start to to face off against each other in the match. You know, they're the two big blokes, muscled up. Maybe you do the old, you know, bouncing off the thing and bouncing off the ropes and, and doing the shoulder block and neither one moving and, you know, Ventura can build up, look at this, this is going to be amazing. And, and, and Vent, you know, McMahon sort of going, who, you know, what are these two guys going to do to each other? And just picturing them starting to battle each other, they eliminate each other, they basically, you know, maybe bounce into the ropes and fall over or maybe you could even have someone like like a, a, a Bravo or even Randy Savage coming over and flicking the leg and they both go over and um, and then you know, they, they basically eliminate each other and they start to brawl to the back and this allows you to set up a, the match I mean the Warrior and Hercules met at Wrestlemania 4 in reality um, this allows you to set up that match with a little bit more behind it. They, they've actually met in the ring. They've, they've had a battle. Neither's come out on top here, and they fight to the back, and neither one seems to be getting the, the upper hand. They're just pounding away, and um, it, it gives you that build, that that that, un, that, that building block of the storyline to you know, what's going to happen when these two men actually wrestle and who could actually win between these two. Absolutely. I, I like that a lot. Um, and, and when we go through the WrestleMania card next month, Jeff and I, um, we, we talk about some of that because um, we build we built the WrestleMania card based off what we did here at the Rumble, and that's definitely one of the big things that we have going on. So um, here we are with our final five entrants. In the ring, we've got Harley Race, the Junkyard Dog, Randy Savage, Dino Bravo, and Jim Duggan and Bam Bam Bigelow. So we've got some legit stars in there. Um, we're kind of hurting on the on the heel front, um, but we'll we'll kind of see that we'll we'll see that flesh out here as we as we move forward. So our last five guys, number twenty six, we've got Raymond Rougeau. Twenty seven, we've got the One Man Gang. Twenty eight, Sam Houston. Twenty nine, B. Brian Blair, and then the man who drew number thirty, by hook or by crook. Your Intercontinental Champion, the Honky Tonk Man. So at this point, we've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 guys in the ring. Um, we talked about the one-man gang coming in and, and really setting a precedent early, um, getting rid of Blair and Houston um, when, when they're in the ring, you know, having them come in and, and try and fight with him a little bit, but gang throwing them out of the ring. Um, I think at this point... We can look at Duggan and Bravo um, and, and Harley Race and the Junkyard Dog and how can we get some of those guys out. Um, but the big moment is Savage uh, getting his hands on Honky, um, but Honky always trying to uh, kind of to get through the weeds and not letting him get his hands on him. Um, that's another spot where I see what we talked about earlier with the Rougeau brothers. Raymond Rougeau kind of helping the Honky Tonk Man a little bit um, and working on Randy Savage. Yeah, I mean, you've got you've got uh, an opportunity here. Like I was, you know, I was thinking the same thing. R R Raymond can come in. There needs to be that that subtle heel thing, and maybe 
you got to you got to remember where Savage goes after Honky, but all Raymond Raymond is suddenly free. He just sees Savage there and he goes and hits him in the back, and so it looks like oh he just attacks someone nearby, but at the same time he attacked uh, a face, and you've got that that thing again. What what you know McMahon saying why isn't he helping Savage to eliminate the Honky Tonk Man and and Ventura going you know. You know, just like his brother, he knows that only one man can win this event. He wants to be the one who can win it, and 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 you know, you really, you really have that opportunity. I can even see Gang coming in and and eliminating guys like you know, maybe he he can be someone who eliminates JYD, who maybe is eliminated. You know, maybe you could have JYD eliminate Harley Race at some point. You know, just to play off what happened at WrestleMania three, and JYD finally gets the one up on Harley Race, and then Gang can eliminate you know JYD and. You know, get a couple of those big names out of the ring to, to start to whittle it down. Um, Gang just looking absolutely monstrous, and Honky Tonk just trying everything he can to avoid Savage. Savage just that one mindset that only Randy can do, and he's constantly going for it. You can have guys like Bravo and 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 you know, you know, a couple of the other guys in there just you know coming in and getting Savage off and beating on him for a few minutes. Honky getting a couple of cheap shots in but anytime savage gets to his feet honky does a runner yep and uh so at this point um i think i think savage can be the guy um that that eliminates uh raymond or or we can have bam bam um one of those guys uh, do that um and then duggan and bravo um i think i like the gang eliminating um duggan and i like bam bam eliminating bravo um i think you 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 have two guys who are established at that point? Of course, Jim Duggins is, is kind of a you know a bullshit thing you know with him um, you know whatever it works out. But the, him being eliminated by the one man gang can work, and I think that's what we have here. So we've got our final four in the ring: number twenty one, Randy Savage; number twenty five, Bam Bam Bigelow; number twenty seven, the one man gang; and then number thirty, the Honky Tonk Man. So going into this. We want to establish Bam Bam as a as a legit guy, and I think we've done that with some eliminations. Um, he's had a pretty good run, but it's at this point where we we do some trickery. We do something with with Jimmy Hart. Um, maybe he he pulls the rope down. You've got Slick out there. Somebody um, somebody does something to allow Bam Bam to to kind of get a cheap elimination, but to keep his heat to keep him. Uh, fresh in the minds of of the people because he is somebody that that we want to we want to do something with. So um, at this point, Bam Bam is eliminated, and then it's a two on one. The big one man gang and the chicken shit honky tonk man are in there with Randy Savage, and then Dave. I'm going to let you set up how we finish this thing. So I'm, I'm I'm picturing I'm picturing gang and honky like Savage tries to fight them off, but the number game starts to get to him and gang and starts pounding away honky gets his cheap shots in and i'm even seeing gang wanting to throw savage out of the ring but honky's stopping him because honky wants to have some more fun and they beat on him some more and then jimmy passes honky the guitar and and one man gang hooks hooks him and you've got this i'm gonna i'm gonna lay you out again you know here we go again another hit honky top man here's another one to add to the greatest hits and he lifts the guitar over his head and as he goes to bring it down savage Plies himself away from the clutches of Gang, and Gang takes the shot in the head, and and he's completely stunned. Maybe even drops to a knee. Honky can't believe what happens. I can see Savage getting up. Maybe he lays 
Ponky out with with an elbow to the top of the head, turns around and runs at Gang with his with that high knee that he does, and Gang goes sort of barreling over the top rope, and then Savage turns around and the place goes crazy because he points at, at Honky. It's like it's now it's you and me. Where there's nowhere to run, there's nowhere to hide. I've got you in my sights. It's a setup that that what was the the feud at the moment. You know that the Savage Honky feud was really heated, and it allows you a chance to do something with it. Absolutely, and uh, at at that point, you know, um, we we maybe have Honky get a little bit on Savage, but in the end, uh, Randy Savage is going to be the one that tosses the Honky Tonk Man out. He wins the first Royal Rumble. He has eliminated his big nemesis as they're getting ready to go towards the main event, and Randy Savage now has a World's Heavyweight Championship match in his pocket, that he is going to cash in at WrestleMania 4. Looking at this card, we've established some big feuds going out. We established Demolition as a force. They are somebody to be reckoned with, um, especially eliminating the World Tag Team Champions. We had Bret Hart hopefully getting a little bit of babyface love because of him lasting almost 40 minutes in this Royal Rumble. We have the Rougeos coming out and, and acting a little heel um, and still getting, you know, getting what's coming to them. We have the Ultimate Warrior and Hercules uh, with the big double elimination. Warrior looks strong going in, um, and him and Hercules now have that conflict. Uh, Bam Bam looks good. The one-man gang looks stronger than ever. Um, and then, of course, you know, Honky being the chicken shit that he is, um, he, he walks away with the IC title still, um, and, and Savage with Elizabeth in the ring, they're celebrating, uh, Jesse giving Savage his due, uh, Vince McMahon putting it through the roof, and, and they're really pushing at the main event and what's going to be happening on that February night. Yeah, and, and it's, it, it really gives you that image that now Savage has shown he, he can topple Honky and, and, and that you know, he gets that that measure, that public measure of revenge on Honky that he that he hasn't had, and and in reality, in reality, at least on 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 major TV, never got um, this this big feud he had with Honky for so long, and yet because of the nature of the way they ended up going with the storylines, Savage never got that moral victory, that that one up and on Honky, and I think this is the chance where he can do it and not take the belt off Honky. Mm-hmm. I agree. And uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, that is the 1988 Royal Rumble. Um, we, we start to, to look at it in a different way. Uh, running down the card, one more quick time for you. We've got Rick Rude defeating Ricky Steamboat with some bullshit with Bobby Heenan, possibly. The Jumping Bomb Angels defeating the Glamour Girls. Dino Bravo with his weight segment getting the 715 with Jesse's help. Bad News Brown coming in and eliminating Ken Patera, getting a nice um, a nice start to his momentum. The Islanders defeating the British Bulldogs, but the Bulldogs getting Matilda back. Uh, Hulk Hogan and Andre signing the contract for the February 5th um, main event. And then Brutus Beefcake defeating Greg the Hammer Valentine, uh, putting an end to that feud. And then, of course, Randy Macho Man Savage with a huge win at the Royal Rumble defeating his nemesis, uh, the Honky Tonk Man, and having this shot at the World's Heavyweight Championship at 
the WrestleMania 4. Um, but before we get there, we've got a, a show, we've got a bridge between these two things, and that is the main event on February 5th, 1988. Um, the uh, I think it, it probably goes down as the single biggest watched show in the history of wrestling at some point in time, um, especially at that time. Uh, and, and looking at that card and, and what we can do from where we were at for the Royal Rumble and where we're going to be at for WrestleMania 4. So, Dave, we don't want to give away what the WrestleMania card is because I think Jeff and I put together something that's that's going to be pretty exciting. Um but looking at this, uh, looking at this card, originally what they had is Demolition defeating Billy Jack and Ken Patera, Jake Roberts defeating Harley Race, Ron Bass defeating Coco Beware, the Bulldogs defeating the Islanders, Jim Duggan defeating the One Man Gang, Ultimate Warrior defeating Sika, Savage defeating Honky um, by Countout with the Intercontinental title on the line. Strike Force defeating the Heart Foundation, and then of course the big thing with Andre and uh, and Hogan. So let's save Andre and Hogan. Let's go through that undercard. Is there anything big on there that you would like to change or look at? Um, in my mind, a lot of it looks good. Um, I do like uh, some of the things that we set up because Jim Duggan does get his revenge on the One Man Gang. The Warrior looks strong with the uh, defeating Sika. Ron Bass, um, you know, somebody that we, we have maybe some minor plans for. He defeats Coco. Uh, Jake Roberts with a big victory over Harley Race, one of the guys that eliminated him in the Royal Rumble. And then Demolition defeating uh, Billy Jack and Ken Patera. I don't mind, I don't mind that. I probably wouldn't mind putting, um, putting uh, a team like uh, uh, the um, Young Stallions there, uh, an actual tag team for them to defeat. Um, and maybe we have we have uh, somebody like Bad News add in a match where he defeats Billy Jack Haynes um, to continue his build. I anything of those first six that you would change? No, I think I think what you've said is is right there. You wouldn't do much. The the, the we've lucked into. We've, but, you know, I, I hadn't looked at that card, but a couple of the decisions we made, like you said, have played into hands that would that would fill that up. But I think if I remember right. The only matches shown on TV were the, the last three, so yep. a lot of that's uh, going to be at the house show part of the uh, the night. But it's um, yeah, I wouldn't be changing much there. And and the big thing is is that with our television, we're showing these matches. Um, we're showing them on Superstars or Wrestling Challenge as, as main event matches. Um, you know, on those shows, so we're still getting it out there for the fans to see. Um, and uh, you know, looking at. How can we bridge it? So let's go through. Let's start with the tag team match. Um, we we had the Heart Foundation and Strike Force. We talked about the Heart Foundation subtly turning babyface, um, and I think this is a good moment where maybe it's Jimmy Hart that costs them the match. You know, something like that where where he he attempts to do something, but it ends up costing the Brett and, and Jim where where they kind of turn on him. And, and they tell him that we don't need you anymore. We we don't want you to be the guy that is that is um, you know costing us a chance at, at winning the tag team titles again, um, and and really solidifying that. And then on the flip side, when that happens, there's a tag team 
that needs a manager because they're not getting their due, and that is the Rougeos. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think I think that um, that that sort of that, that sets things up well. I, I I don't know if I do the full turn on this event. I probably have the the you know like like you said maybe Jimmy does something. I you know even picture it like you know all hell's broken loose. Refs caught up in one corner trying to break stuff up. Jimmy gets up with the megaphone and you know accidentally clocks either Brett or the anvil. It goes down, allows Strike Force to get the win. They argue. On the way out, yeah, you can see that the, the hitman and the anvil are annoyed about what's happened. They're angry about what's happened, but not necessarily formally split them up on this event. <laughs> oh, yeah, but absolutely you could not. do that on a superstars over the next couple of weeks. You could do that on TV, maybe on the, you know, on, on, a, on a talk segment, on the body shop, on something like that where you can you can have them. They've thought it over and they're really, you know, the reason they lost the titles in the first place and the reason they lost their rematch was because of Jimmy Hart and they don't want that to happen anymore. So allow them to build for a couple of weeks and, and that gives makes you know gives Jimmy that sort of anger that you can't do this to me and and you know I have your contracts and I own your contracts and stuff like that, which plays into some of what actually happened and, and, and but in a different sort of approach. Absolutely and, and I and that's the big thing is um is we actually do have a Saturday night's main event as well here. Um, we don't need to go too much into that one. Um, but maybe that's the maybe that's our moment on March twelfth is when that final that final card falls and the hearts are are out on their own. Um, you put them up against a team um, that is is kind of middle of the road, and maybe you look at you look at putting um, putting them against uh, some established heels or you know guys that are kind of right down the line and and having them act babyface and seeing where it goes. At that point, we're also having the Rougeos come in and, and be a, a legit heel team with Jimmy. Um, you know, I can see them going over a team like the Killer Bees or, or the Young Stallions at that point um, and adding some legitimacy that, to, their, to their resume as they're moving forward. Yeah, no, that, that, that certainly works. And, and it gives you that, that plot, those plot points to build into the changes that you, that you want to make. Absolutely, and, and the thing is, is that we get to do it over a period of time. That's the that's the great part about this whole thing is is the the Royal Rumble is on January twenty fourth. Then we've got the February fifth main event, and we've got the March uh, March twelfth Saturday night's main event. So in that time, we've also got three TV shows a week as we build to the big WrestleMania four event. Um, and I think that establishes what we're doing because Demolition are now working their way to becoming the um, the number one contenders for the tag team titles. And and they're doing it through through brute force. Uh, so I think that sets up our tag team. Now let's look at the intercontinental title situation. Um, Randy Savage defeats Honky Tonk Man by Countout. He doesn't get the title, but he also has that title match in his grasp for WrestleMania. Is there anything more that we want to add to this Randy Savage Honky Tonk Man feud, the way that it went down, um, adding in some extra extra pieces to it? No, I think I think you're at the point now. Giving giving Savage that win at the Rumble allows you to have the count out here. And still know that Savage had that victory, uh, had that prominent victory, and and Honky's going to move on. Honky and Savage, you, you're looking at changing the dynamics. You're looking at moving them on. 
the only thing I might you, you might want to do is keep that. Um, I, I can't remember the match how it worked itself, but probably keep Savage with that fury, that rage that he has, because you want to keep the doubt in people's minds because you're looking at that time period of of face face versus heel. You've got Hogan versus Andre happening on the event. Savage and Hogan have formed this friendship, but you want to throw out there that Savage is mad enough, crazy enough, furious enough, whatever, that if Hogan keeps his title, Savage is going to come after him. And you want you want Savage to be pictured as a guy who everyone's behind, but at the same time, it is not going to take much to change what he's doing. Absolutely, he's got, a, focus. he's got a clear focus in mind that he wants to be the a champion. And, you know, I think you can even play off so well. You know, Jesse and, and Vince are, um, or who did the main event uh, broadcast? Was that Jesse yeah, and Vince? Vince? Yeah, Jesse and Vince. Yeah, and uh, you're playing off this concept. Well, what happens, McMahon, if, if Randy Savage wins here tonight? We could have a title for title match at the WrestleMania and really building up this like, you know, what if Savage goes in as the IC champion and who's going to be the world's champion and really building some mystique and some some excitement around what that match could be and where it could end up. I think there's a huge concept right there that could add to the show. Yeah, and, and I mean, you could even play off Jesse being Jesse, because he's about the only one in the world who could ever do this, could even play up the fact that the only reason anyone likes Savage at them, I've always liked Savage, you could say. I've always think he's been great. The only reason you like him, McMahon, is because he's been going after Honky. Well, what happens when he beat, if he beats Honky and then he's going after your champion, Hogan, again? Are you going to hate him again? Are you going to... You know, you're going to turn your back on him because, you know, you can just play that, that, that element up. And Venturis, Jesse always, even when Savage was a good guy, Jesse always had the respect for Savage that allowed the reality. I think one of the things I remember watching the shows, watching the original, the real stuff that happened in 88, was that whatever was going on, Jesse's respect for Savage made you think, that at any time, Savage could still go back to being a heel, and it would be okay because Savage has been because Jesse likes him, and Jesse only likes heels. Yeah, and, and Savage with that fire, that burn, um, you know. And I, I picture maybe even a little promo stuff if we're working the main event where Hogan and Savage are wishing each other the best of luck. Um, they know that they could end up meeting each other down the line. Um, you know, just adding that intrigue to the story um, because that's what we want. And then yeah. we have our main event match here, Andre the Giant versus Hulk Hogan, world title on the line. We know DiBiase and Virgil are going to be in Andre's corner. We know they're paying him off. And and you and I both agreed. We like the way that match went. We like the angle. We like how it all turned out. Um, Andre the Giant defeats Hulk Hogan for the championship and then hands it over to Ted DiBiase. Yeah, you, I think I think you keep it you keep it as it went. You keep the the uh, the evil referee angle, the 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 you know the Dave and Earl thing. They even have their confrontation after Savage. Uh, sorry, uh, DiBiase gets given the belt by Andre, holds it aloft. Hogan's furious, throws everyone out of the ring. And here's where I think you could add a little bit to the storyline. I think you could have here. You could even have Savage come to the ring 
in support of, of Hogan, like, you know, grabbing the referees and, and, you know, maybe even throwing one of the referees at Hogan to throw out of the ring, you know, but just that, that element that Savage has come to support and, and, you know, you know, sort of now the targets are DiBiase and Andre and, and, you know, Savage has got a shot now. So is he going to be facing DiBiase or Andre? He doesn't know, but he's out there supporting, supporting Hogan and, and this is a travesty, but, but at the same time, you know, Savage is out there because, He's about to challenge one of the guys on the other side of the ring. Yep, and and Savage is—he's got that fierceness, but now we can change it a little bit and make him really babyface and say it's all going to work out. And he supports Hogan. He knows that he's the rightful champion, um, and, and and really putting that over the top of you know just how important it is for 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 those two to be on the same page. Um, as they're going in, as they leave this main event, um, we've got complete chaos with DiBiase having the title belt, Andre, uh, you know, giving it, giving it to him, Hogan is irate, we've got a clear number one contender, but we don't know who the champion is, um, and we've got a lot of things going on in the WWF that through those three TV shows, through the Saturday night's main event that we're going to be able to clear up as we set the stage for um, for the WrestleMania event. Um, I guess while we have it, let's look at that Saturday night's main event card um, from Nashville. Well, just, uh, just before we do that, the other thing I think we'd add, we talked about, is we'd add just after that main event, before they oh, go yes, off yes, the air, yes. is having an interview with DBRC and Andre. And DBRC saying, I bought the belt. I told you I was going to do it. I've got it. I'm, the, I'm now the owner of the World Wrestling Federation Championship. I can buy what I want. I bought a championship belt. And you can just you can just picture him throwing a couple things there. I buy anything I want. I bought a bodyguard. I bought I bought a, a man to beat Hogan. I bought the championship belt. Hell, I could even buy Elizabeth if I wanted to. And just leave it at that, passing away, but just to set set an underlying tone for something that Savage can grasp onto to build to a possible match between those two if it was to come about. Absolutely. I, I'm glad that you're here sometimes because I get really excited, as you can tell, and, and that's a that's such an important piece is that subtle little hint of it now turning into a tag team feud-ish where DiBiase lays that down on the line like, if I wanted, I could have Elizabeth. You know, I could buy her. And I think then we build off of that. Um, if we look at that Saturday night's main event card, um, Brutus defeats Greg Valentine. Hogan defeats Harley. DiBiase defeats Savage by countout. Islanders defeat the Killer Bees. One Man Gang defeats Ken Patera. Um, I think there's a couple things on there that we would change. Um, we've already had Brutus defeat Greg Valentine, so I don't know if that match uh, takes place at that point. I'm actually going to put Bam Bam Bigelow in there to defeat Greg Valentine. I think he's a he's a good guy that that we're looking at building up something big with. Um, Hogan defeating Harley, I don't mind that match. I, I think that it's okay there. I do want to change DiBiase and and Savage though. Um, and oh, we're gonna, or, definitely can't have that. Yeah, we're actually going to put Andre into that match and Andre and Savage because they do end up having a pretty decent Saturday night's main event match. They have a pretty good house show circuit match. Um, and I think we're also building off of that idea that, uh, you know, Savage and, and, and DiBiase and Hogan and Andre, that whole dynamic of what's going on there. I don't want to let too much out of the bag because I think Jeff and I are going to talk more about that. Um, the Islanders, 
Um, I, I think I think the big thing. Do you want to do you want to touch on on um, what we're doing in regards to the title situation? Not not yet. I'm actually gonna I'm actually gonna leave that for Jeff. We're gonna talk about that at our next show. Um, I want to I want to give that hook to the fans because what we have what we set up is gonna be great. Um, and we'll go back to the Saturday night's main event show and talk more about that. Um, then the Islanders. Um, I actually like putting uh, the Rougeos in that spot to defeat the Killer Bees, um, solidifying their heel turn. Um, and then one man gang defeating Ken Patera. I think that works out okay there. Um, so we've got some chaos, some anarchy in the WWF. Uh, we had Randy Savage win the Royal Rumble, get the title shot. We don't know who the champion is, though, at this point because of what happened at the main event with Andre and Hogan and DiBiase. Um, and I think that sets us up for what, what I believe is going to be a pretty fun WrestleMania 4 um, that Jeff Jalka and I um, put together along with Dave's help and Scott Criscolo as, as we get set for reimagining uh, the WWF in 1988 and uh, making it pretty special, making it a little bit different, um, and, and setting it forth from there. Um, so as we kind of close things up here, Dave, is there anything else um, that you can see that we haven't talked about or maybe want to reiterate more as we, as we head forward with that, with that big broadcast um, and we look forward to next month's show, uh, WrestleMania Four. No, I think I think we've I think we've we've got it all sort of established. We've got the key players in the key positions. We've got a, a main event spot, a main event situation that no one really knows what's going on, and you need you we're going to need a decision. We're going to need someone to come in and, and, and explain what exactly is going on, and and what will be the main event at WrestleMania. That that's all going to be on the line. But we've got we've got um. Savage is now finished with 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 um, Honky can move on. You've got the demolition laying waste to everyone. You've got the Hearts and the Rougeos beginning to trade places, and it's all all the pieces are starting to fall in line for where we're going, and then and that's what it's all been about. I think I really think that would have been a fun rumble to see. I think it's I think it's been a, a bit of a, a fun night putting this all together. Absolutely, I, I'm really looking forward to it. And like I said, you know, um, the Low Blow Booking Podcast we're continuing to grow and. And with the fans out there, let us know what you think about this. Um, it will be up on our, our Low Blow Booking Podcast uh, Facebook page. So make sure you check it out. Give us some uh, feedback there. And, of course, share it with everybody else. As we start this three-month trifecta, um, in December, myself and Jeff will be coming back at you uh, with WrestleMania four in, in that middle part to this three-part bridge. And then in January, myself and Scott Criscolo will be coming out with uh, SummerSlam 1988, and how do we put all of this together as we as we laid the foundation here tonight? We talked about the Rumble, we talked about the main event, we talked about Saturday night's main event, and now next month we're going to be coming back. Me and Jeffrey Jalker are going to be talking about that title situation. Who are the guys that we have doing some great things in the WWF and, and getting ready for what we hope will be a better WrestleMania four than what happened, and uh, a way for us to set our future. Um, for the next couple of years in the WWF. That sounds exciting. I can't wait to hear it. Absolutely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us. Dave, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I'm looking forward to how this project goes, and, and then uh, you know you and I heading back to battle at some point, because I, I do know that um, the NWA was frustrated losing uh, the Summit Battle of 1989, and I think that the 1990 Summit Battle is going to be something a little bit better for uh, for me and the NWA when we come back after it. 
<laughs> Looking forward to that. Awesome. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to close out now with none other than Jesse the Body Ventura and Vince McMahon signing off from the Cobbs Coliseum. Just minutes away, there were 20-some thousand fans jam-packing this arena, the Cobbs Coliseum, here in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. What a night this has been for the Royal Rumble, Jesse. Definitely the Royal Rumble, the first time it's ever been done. It was an experience for me to see one because I've never seen it before. A very interesting match. But again, I think the key to the Royal Rumble is the luck of the draw. Coming yes. in late.